0: Hi friends and welcome to yet another episode of the end of sport podcast this is johanna malice and i'm here tonight with derek silva hi derek
1: hey Johanna.
0: and so tonight we interviewed the last person for our swimming week series we interviewed jamal hill who is just an amazing um, human being but also he's a black paralympic swimmer and he just has so many incredible insights he shared with us his life going out being a black swimmer, um, when he got diagnosed with CMT disease, and sort of how he worked through that, and how he sees his uh, swimming advocacy work um, sort of coinciding with that. He also shared with us ideas about, you know, swimmers and the advocacy realm and their anti-racist work, what's been done, you know, what needs to be done, how we can keep pushing it forward. Um, and this was just such an insightful and delightful conversation, and we are so excited for you all to hear it.
1: And as always, if you are enjoying the show, please feel free to like, share, and give us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. Um, You can always reach out to us uh, by email at theendofsport at gmail.com or on Twitter. And we're super active on Twitter or Instagram at pod. And if you are feeling generous and you'd like to support the show, please go to our website at www.theendofsport.com and support us via our Patreon. With all of that said, please enjoy the show.
0: Jamal Hill is a Paralympic swimmer based in Los Angeles. He was the 50 and 100 freestyle champion at the 2018 U.S. Paralympics Swimming Paranational Championships and then placed silver in the 100 free at the 2019 World Para Swimming World Series. While currently training for the 2021 Tokyo Paralympics, he also started the wonderful initiative to teach 1 million people to swim through his movement called Swim Uphill. He was also recently selected to serve on the Team USA Council on Racial and so- Social Justice, which is the first of its kind. Jamal, we cannot be more excited to have you on the podcast as part of our Swimming Week series. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. That was a darn good introduction. Um, <laughs> You know, I'll tell you my favorite, my favorite, I guess uh just sport swimming accolade for me would be my performance at the Parapan American Games in, in Lima, Peru. I was like mm-hmm. the first international game they would bring home a silver medal there. Um, So I'm happy to be here. You know, let's 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 get into it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, one question that we always like to ask our guests is, "How are you doing with the pandemic and anti-racist uprisings in Los Angeles, California?"
2: For sure, LA is—you know, born and raised here. Um, went to school mm-hmm. at, like Northeast Ohio, but um, currently, right now, you know, like uh, I've settled in. I'm in a flow as far as my personal life and you know, kind of my business, my my interpersonal relationship life go. I'm in a flow. I think, um, it's definitely been, you know, just as far as 2020 going as a year and obviously, you know, like the COVID pandemic, right. Um, as Mm a big one, uh, it would just be like, man, you know, I'm just in the flow. It's hard to say anything other than that. Like life, life is not bad. I'm building a lot of things. We got some exciting things coming up, having plenty of losses, you know, but I mean, it's just life, you know, so just trying to make sure that, uh, that if this is the end, I go out with a bang, you know? That's really <laughs> it. Um, but in terms of the anti-racism riots rising up in LA, I'll tell you this. For the first time, probably, like, I think it was, and I'm a 25, you know, like you said, 25 years old black man in Los Angeles. in June was probably the first time in my life I ever, like, really even felt comfortable to talk about wow. black issues, right? And this is me. I, this I'm in this generation, right? So, like, just imagine my parents and the generations mm-hmm. before them, like, you know, for me to, you know, for, it, it's crazy, honestly. So that was a pretty surreal moment for me. And it felt great to like be, to feel like I was included in this, you know, this thing called freedom of speech, you know, mm-hmm. and to actually just be able to speak about some messed up, you know, trying to keep a PG on here. So, <laughs> you <laughs> know, just criminal inhumane activity that is normalized, you know? Yeah. Uh. So that's how. I'm doing. That's how things are going, you know. But uh,
1: just taking it day by day. Great, great. Yeah, and and just just so you know, you don't have to keep it PG. We don't okay. mind a little bit of language. <laughs> we're not we're we're not PG fully on this podcast, but okay, we're definitely going to get um to what's been happening in the world all around us in this podcast. Absolutely, we want to ask you specifically about that. But before we get into that stuff, Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how COVID and the pandemic and lockdowns and social space, all these things have impacted your careers and your plans as you train Mm -hmm. towards the the biggest event, the Paralympic Games. Could you walk us through a little bit how the pandemic has altered or changed the course of your career?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, you know, I would say anyone who knows me, they will attest to this for sure. But my superpower is like, I'm the great adapter. Um, mm. You know, that is, that is a hundred percent, at least one of my superpowers It's my favorite power. You know, I'm the chameleon, you know, so whatever room I'm in, I just kind of, you know, I'm always myself, but I just kind of in what this room is missing. You know, that that's kind of, that's my, that's my forte, you could say. So, I mean, as far as you know competing as far as competing at the paralympics going and that being a great platform for all the other amazing things that i'm involved in um it's really not bad for me dude i'll tell you because like i've only been pro for about three years and by pro i mean like training year round Mm -hmm. um for about three years you know so i mean obviously i have a lot of knowledge and experience but like as far as the sport goes like i'm super young in the sport you know what i'm saying so um To have another year to train and prepare and like further develop and just be better. You know, it's like whether it happens Mm -hmm. 2021, 2022, you know, like I think that's one thing that, like, uh, I and you know, it's a big thing nowadays, like, it's more than an athlete movement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like that's how I was raised, you know, like I was now, I never thought of myself as an athlete, you know, (laughs) like I was never like an identifying factor of mine in my home or like in my, you know, I'm saying, I guess, like, yeah, people see I'm athletic, but it was never. I say all that to say that, um, just, you know, like so much. I got so much more other ways that we're trying to help and impact and, like, me just be personally fulfilled, um, than mm-hmm. to, like, really kind of be holding my breath for that. But, uh, I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. Like, I hope it happens next year. That would be great. You know, that would be great. That would yeah. help things definitely move quick, more quickly. But, uh, just enjoying it. You know, it's like it's completely out of my control. So uh, at this point, it's not even a stress factor.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's wonderful, and it's great to hear about your sort of all-encompassing approach to not only your sport and your, your athleticism, but also the sort of broad movement that's being tied into that. So that's mm-hmm. really, really wonderful to hear. So let's, for our listeners who mm-hmm. might not be aware, we'd love to get to kind of start by hearing more about your background as an athlete and as a swimmer. When okay. and how did you first get involved with competitive swimming? And what was the sort of uh, swimming environment like for you while you were growing up?
2: Okay. My initial, so just being very specific here, my initial introduction to comp- competitive swimming would have probably been like around maybe about seven years old, give or take a year. Um, mm-hmm. So Seven years old, give or take a year, right? So obviously I had the prerequisites to participate in that, right? At that point. Yeah. Um, and then it probably went until I was like 10 you know what I'm saying, like early 10, Mm -hmm. late nine, give or take a year. So like we're talking really just kind of like maybe like this two to four year span of competitive swimming in my youth, you know what I'm saying. um, And -hmm. that experience was, I mean, like, I guess, you know, obviously we're just talking about racial divisions here, I think to a large part, like, because obviously I loved it, like I love water, I love swimming, you know, like it was the first sport I ever really participated in. And again, it just clicked, like it was something that it's fun. It's fun to me. It was always fun. Um, but I mean like my experience in terms of demographic rights, the one I came up in the YMCA system, so shout out to the YMCA. I think it's always important to honor, you know, even though we don't live in a perfect world to really honor entities yeah. and bodies yeah. that are doing great work, you know, whether it can be improved or not, like that's, you know, we can all say something, right. But like, you know, to really honor those who are, who are doing great yeah. things. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of background, you know what I'm saying? A lot of just different people, especially from lower-end communities or middle-class communities that came up and became developed through the YMCA system. So it's 100% being effective in the world. Um, but uh, pretty much came up in YMCA. On the swim team, when I was younger, there was one Indian kid on my team in Westchester YMCA. Um, and then, like, you know, everyone else is pretty much, I mean, like what has become in America, right, politically black and politically white, everyone else is, you know, politically white. Yeah. Um, and then even when we would go out to competitions and stuff like that, I think at one point another black girl ended up joining my team. Um, but you know, it's, it's pretty much everybody's experience, right? (laughs) To be quite frank, like I was never, and again, like, and, uh, you speak to a lot of, you know, pro swimmers, pro athletes, like we'll talk about this a little bit later. Like I never experienced just like, you know, anything crazy, like, you know, get the fuck out of here. You don't belong here. This is like. We're, an anti, we're anti-black right now. I've never experienced mm-hmm. especially coming up in California. I've never experienced that. But uh, what I will say is that I don't think microaggressions are a thing, but I do think that anti-blackness is woven into the fabric of our society. And so, mm-hmm. people in privileged positions you know, act in that and don't even realize it. So, I've definitely experienced things like that, but um, nothing that's just been like blatant like, I don't like this person because he's black. Or I'm going to try and further exclude him or not, you know, what I'm saying, you know, that, that I could go on and on, but I think that really mm-hmm. kind of answered your question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we understand that sort of as, while you were growing up, that I, I think like around 10, from what I understand, mm-hmm. you found out that you have a genetic disease called, and I might butcher this, it's called a Charcot-Marie-Tooth syndrome. And yes, I was wondering if you could give, like, a, a brief explanation about what it is and sort of how did it impact you and your abilities at the time?
2: Absolutely. Just, just for my CMT family, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not, you know, well-informed on what exactly syndrome is, you know, like, uh, by definition, but I know, like, colloquially, it's a disease.
3: Ah, okay. Um,
2: so colloquially it's the disease, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you definitely got the name right, so Charcot-Marie-Tooth. So just the name of the three friend scientists um, who, mm-hmm. you know, identified and named this type of neuropathy, okay? Um, and so there, there's, you know, there's so many different sections of numbers and letter variations of the disease. Um, but essentially what it does do across the board is it impacts the central nervous system um mm-hmm. and it mostly impacts the peripheral nerves so what that would be is you know the nerves of your extremities so like it could be your whole arm it could be like from your elbow to your fingertips it could just be you know from your legs to your knees to your toes um but uh yeah so at 10 years old you know early on at 10 years old I ended up dislocating my right shoulder Oof. um and so you know so I'm popping it out of socket and you know my dad he was he took me to swim practice back then and so he saw it and he's like you know that's probably not a good thing kid like so <laughs> we go to the hospital you know what i'm saying and long story short the doctor's like yeah pretty much like he's you know what would be now double jointed right people are celebrating mm-hmm. double jointed people now but like back then it was like yeah this kid might have to get his arm amputated like i'm a mm. right-handed kid and he's like he has to stop swimming he might have to get that arm amputated like like now i'm done swimming right now at early oh on that God. kid and then, boom, my whole right arm is in the sling and I'm right handed. So it's not a bad thing, but like I was there, I, it forced me to like become better right now, my left hand just out of annoyance, out of frustration. <laughs> um, you know, that's when I first kind of to start pick up like a basketball and like really kind of just shoot around with my left hand and stuff like that. And then later on that year, it's really kind of when we really found out about this this disease that I have right in this it's, uh, hereditary. So, you know, you know, Science is great but it doesn't know a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? So they really don't know how genes turn on and off, right? So for whatever reason this gene turned on, Thanksgiving of that same year, at Thanksgiving dinner, you know what I'm saying? As look like, as fate would have it, you know what I'm saying? And um pretty much my arm that had been went out out of place, you know, it had been a thing for six months, so I got it back now, but it went limp. And then as the night went on, like my leg went limp and the next you know, boom, my whole body's limp and so that just wow. progressed into you know a residency, a brief residency at Church Hospital Los Angeles. You know, the intake, you put final tap on you. All these mm-hmm. uh, just very classically scientific, you know, tests. Right, big needles. You know, semi dimly lit rooms, face like, wow. Mask, You know, every everything mm-hmm. that um, you know, just everything that comes with it. And so, uh, pretty much, just for a, really for some time, I was just paralyzed from the neck down a temporary paralysis right um and it's like almost what i would call an inflamed state of this disease as it manifests in my body okay um and so you know i can move my head my neck i can speak but it was just like you know i tell people like uh, a lot of people know the kill bill movie um mm-hmm. when uma thurman first gets mm-hmm. out the hospital and she jumps into the back of the pussy wagon you know what i'm saying and she's like wiggle big toe wiggle and at first the toe is like you know what i'm saying not moving and then it starts to wiggle so just imagine like my toes just still never really wiggle, even though, you know, I focus very, very hard on. It. Um, so, you know, the inflammation reduced and now pretty much on a day to day basis, uh, my my uh, scientific like uh, motor capacity, nerve capacity is pretty much zero percent from my knees to the soles of my feet and then 30 percent from my elbows to my fingertips. So like, you know, this helps people sometimes. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, I work really hard, a lot of people, you know, I, I hid, you know, I hid in the shadows, like, I hid in plain sight, I guess, for a long time, because, mm-hmm. you know, my disability does not fit, you know, the the stigma of disability, right, what it should mm-hmm. look like, um, and how easily it should be classified or assumed to be classified, so I was able to, you know, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but either way, um, you know, it's kind of like walking on my knees, you know, so like, I'm a tall guy. I've still never dunked a basketball really, but like, you know, I get stronger every day, um, but I probably will be able to dunk one one day, hopefully. But like, you know, mm. up until now, I just <laughs> haven't been able to generate that amount of lift, you know? So like, mm, even yeah. in swimming, um, you know, when I'm moving that fast, some of my, my finer motor muscles, they just like start sizing out, you know? And wow. in some ways, you know, in some ways, you know, it, it just depends. Like it's a lot of drag for sure. No, well, I'm not sure if I'm getting my drag to power ratio, my 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 drag to power quotient exactly what I would like it to be. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that that's what happened at ten, and so from ten, boom, that all happened, and I just really, I didn't even really get around to swimming pool until like the next six years. Wow.
1: So how so how did the the sort of initial diagnosis sort of um change your or alter your relationship to swimming and kind of make you not it sounds like you you didn't want to swim or, or you weren't entering the pool for a little while
2: yeah i mean it wasn't even so much the diagnosis it was just kind of like and again like what i'm about to say right now you know it's my story you know what i'm saying but some people are crazy so i just always like to be as thorough as possible um mm-hmm. pretty much like i can't say for sure that that shoulder dislocation that i had early on in the year was at all connected to the charcoal tooth but like I yeah. really think it was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to have some hypermobile joints for one, for sure, because of their just kind of neurological weakness. that's going to allow, Yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, um, me not swimming was really more so my parent, like, it was like that fear of my shoulder, you know, cause like that is uh, still really happening. So it wasn't about yeah. like, it wasn't like, oh, like now nah, I was never crippled, you know? Yeah. Like I was, it was always like, even as I got older and got back into swimming and you all understand aquatics, so you know, so like egg beating, um like mm. what a water <laughs> polo player kick is, right? So like breaststroke yeah. kicking. I was a great breaststroke kicker and now like I can't, you know, I tried. But like, you know what I'm saying, doing things like that, trying to become a lifeguard when I was a when I was in high school, um, like facing challenges, Now I would come home and be like, Man, like, I cannot do this and it was just always even from a young age, it was just like, you know, look, if you keep practicing, you're at least gonna be better than you are right now right Um, Mm -hmm. what else do you say after that like okay (laughs) right
1: so so i there's so much we want to get to today Mm -hmm. um but but the last question i want to ask you about um cmt is just it's more to do with the work that you're doing right now and the brilliant stuff that you're doing right now and i'm curious to find out how important is speaking about speaking out about your experiences with cmt disease like kind of how do you view your role uh as like a role model for for younger athletes and how did your experiences influence you to work on on projects like teaching one million people to swim through swim Hill and, and the wonderful work that you're doing now
2: yeah absolutely so on the paralympic circuit you know as i meet younger athletes um whatever you know even more than just shark too, it's like and um, one of the is I have to, like, really lock in the best PC term, I think, for colloquial, you know, just general use for, like, uh, ability-impaired ability, ability impaired or ability-differential um, individuals like myself, you know, across whatever mm-hmm. spectrum you have that. Um, I tell them, like, yo, put these kids in a regular program as much as they mm-hmm. can, as much as can be, you know, because that's going to be beneficial to everybody. Number one, it's going to show your child that look. He could be the best kid on this team, honestly. Like, you know, like there's, you know, naturally, you know, these kids are still in life where everyone is, right? That's better than some people and worse than some others. Like, you know, (laughs) that's just how it goes, you know? So put them, you know, put them on the swim team as long as, you know, obviously like if uh, sometimes for, you know, cognitively impaired athletes, right? I guess right that that that's where you maybe have the most amount of accommodation. But even there, like as mm-hmm. best as you can, definitely integrate those bodies. Because then also, what it does for the other team kids on the team is it's going to start to you know deconstruct, um, you know the this you know the the stigmas that they're learning through our greater environment and society. You know mm-hmm. that are really not beneficial to anyone. Um, yeah. you know pretty much they are like. People with disabilities are less than whole people. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, you know what I'm saying? Like, no Absolutely. one wants to own that or say that, but it's real. Yeah. Trust me. I yeah. was one of those people, right? A hundred percent. That was me a hundred percent. If anyone had ever asked me, like, oh, you know, like, what I just said. Do you think, like, um, you know, like, disabled people are less than whole people, right? What am I even saying right now? Are less than fully able-bodied people? <laughs> I would have been yeah. like, oh, no, for sure not. That's crazy. Like, that's super messed up. But after you know having pretty much been growing and developing and keeping this, I don't even want to call it a secret per se, but just keeping this very big private thing based off of shame to myself, you know what I'm saying, for like twelve years. Um, when I was finally faced with the fact that you know, oh Jamal, you know, because when Wilma found out about Murray too, she was the first person to really find out in twelve years, and so that's my coach, by the way, right? So she mm. tells me like, um, you know at this time I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer right and so she's like if we can't cure this you may want to look into the Paralympics and Mm. so I'm like "Mm, you know don't ever say that to me again (laughs) like (laughs) you know like that was you know and that was it I was like staring myself I was staring my privilege in the face right or like what I had assumed to be my privilege right like oh no now that I'm a part of that now that I'm actually going to be classified in this like no it's not And I'm actually offended Mm -hmm. that you would say that, you know, so that's another conversation for another time about humanity. Um, But, you know, that's what I teach these young, that's what I teach the kid. That's what I teach the parents, you know, put Them on the team and the kids on the team again, they need to learn that these are all people. Like, what do you know what I'm saying? Like, they can be too. There are people without arms and legs that can do more than people with arms and legs 100%. Absolutely,
3: you know? yeah.
2: every day, oh, yeah. <laughs> seen it, you know. Yeah. I work with
0: especially the in most, the pool,
2: right? I work with the most inspiring <laughs> people in the world, especially in the pool. Like, oh my god, <laughs> um, so that's one thing, you know, and then uh, just kind of be becoming more involved in the shark Community, tooth community. Um, yeah. I've, been, I've been, you know, I've been very blessed and fortunate, um, just through mindset and physical practices with my, you know, battle, my uphill battle with Charcot Marie Tooth. And, um, so this, this month is actually Charcot Marie Tooth Awareness Month. So I'm happy that y'all asked me about that. And, uh, ah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of neuropathies, uh, kind of like MS, kind of like, kind of like a lot of things. So, mm. um, you know, I just kind of been debating on this for a while. And I think at the end of this month, I'm going to, you know, open up a program um pretty much just kind of showing you know all the things that I've been doing over the past 12 years you know that I really kind of oh. never talked about before because you know, because I you know I, I didn't really own it. it was still it was you know coming into the light you know but you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so there's that and then uh as far as teaching a million people goes man that was just I was a freaking number one that was a service no-brainer number two that was a marketing no brainer. Um, yeah. you know, when when I when I first joined the Paralympic movement and part of Team USA in twenty eighteen, um, you know, my heroes are people like Muhammad Ali, you know, just people who truly transcended sport, you know, but really, you know, were were champions and they achieved their own personal endeavors, but were really able to use their platform, you know, in a way that really was not popular at all at the time, but like was absolutely yeah. in accordance with like what it is to be human. Um, what it is to show love mm-hmm. and do what's right in my eye, you know? So um, just pretty much being inspired by that. I'm like, you know, a million is a popular number. I was pretty, I'm still heavy in entrepreneurship, but I was just kind of getting my feet wet still am honestly. Right? <laughs> you, never, you never get them dry. Right. But I'm still getting my feet wet on that. Um, And so, you know, I'm like a million is a popular number, man. Um, 300. 300- is a great number. Yeah, about, you know, about a third of a million people um, drown every year. Uh, you know, most, Jeez. believe it or not, most of those, you would be surprised. Most of the drownings around the world, they're obviously, you know, not obvious, but people under 25 and people over 55, um, um, you know, people 18 and under the, uh, the one of the great the, latest, the leading cause of death, 18 and under, and obviously the majority of this demographic will be the younger demographic, are people drowning in buckets, you know, small people drowning um, in buckets. More people wow. drown in bucket every year than drown in lakes and rivers. Um, so, you know, that's and wild. these are things that I've just kind of learned along my journey. You know, that that specific statistic is from the World Health Organization reported 2014. Uh, so, feel free to check that out, you know, listeners. But, um, uh pretty much, man, i was just like let's do a million. You know, like that's a good goal, yeah. and um, I'm like that's what that's definitely going to be the start of a legacy, right? Because whatever yeah. goals, you know, I'm gonna win a. Ch- fuck gonna go,
3: honestly
2: (laughs) that's what i'm in it for you know like and sport is another thing it has its ups and its downs its good and its bad this life you know but like fuck it that's what i chose to do um (laughs) so you know i'm planning on doing that you know being able to you know just obviously take care of my family build businesses build a career Mm -hmm. and i like it i like Mm -hmm. it most of all and that's what this teaching million is so over the years we developed a program um, and we developed it, you know, the, the really the first six to months are of R&D, we were focused on individuals who self-identified as aquaphobic or had close family mm-hmm. members that identified them as aquaphobic. Um, and aquaphobic by dictionary is like people who have this irrational fear of water, um, but I'm slowly becoming, you know, of the notion that there's really no such thing as an irrational fear. You know what I'm yeah, saying? like the fear yeah. itself is yeah. not rational in, in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, like it is like life. You know, it kind of it, it. A lot of it just kind of hangs in the ether of gray, right? <laughs>
3: like,
2: yeah. Um. You know, especially when you really start to get in with what most people's air quotes fear or irrational fear of is with water, and most mm-hmm. oftentimes it's trauma based.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, You know, it, it's trauma based. Um. And so that that's pretty much what we focused on in our first six months, and then from that, our goal was to really use that as the fundamental um, to build a curriculum uh to pretty much open up entry level swimming right so if you imagine swimming is like a, a pyramid right kind of like imagine the bottom pyramid imagine the a pyramid of thirds right so like there's the ground and then the bottom tier, the bottom tier is a, a bowl the middle tier mm-hmm. is a bench and then the top tier is a bucket the very tip of the pyramid right so where most drownings happen they happen people standing on the ground who aren't on the swimming pyramid and they happen in like that bowl, that bottom third of the pyramid where it's like people are, they haven't, they haven't gained the ability to swim a beginning freestyle and like certain mm. basic water competence. So from that level zero to level one, that's where pretty much all your drownings are happening. That's for like 98 to 99% of, you know, because obviously accidents happen. And we're not talking about natural disasters, right? That's that's mm-hmm. that would be like counting the wind killing people, right? In tornadoes, right? You can't, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't account for yeah. that. Not as a joke, but right, quite seriously, yeah. right? You know, so, um, you know, that's that's our primary focus, and we've been able to develop a uh, a five hour curriculum, um, and you know, so we've been able to service, uh, really so far, um, we've been able to service hundreds of people just with this curriculum. Right, so mind you, prior to this, like I served, you know, as a part of the Los Angeles County Parks and Rec Department lifeguards for almost seven, eight years. Right, so like I've I've taught hundreds and thousands of students. Woman has been in, you know, she she's a healer by nature, and that's a big part of what she brought to this. But she was also, you know, a big gymnast instructor. So there's so much of our background kind of has built into this, um, and really kind of culminated this project. Not even it's not a culmination; we're still ascending um Mm -hmm. you know uh, when COVID happened a lot of our movement was to uh we were starting to pretty much we had the we have the the curriculum in a book format so it's a do-it-yourself book format we're still debating when we're going to drop that but it it are it's complete with photos and videos linked to the book um very helpful designed to bring water competency into the home Mm -hmm. um you know uh through like a bowl of bench and a bucket, which is pretty much just like we're doing, we're trying to do away with like the, the industry barriers of pretty much access to a calm body of water, which with most people in, in rather in like city areas will be a pool. Um, And then obviously the time limit, right. So because there's no real like time stake in the industry, right. How long did, how long, right. What's the average, right. Like there's an average for how long it takes a burger to get cooked, right. Like
3: yeah.
2: we know we're not going to be sitting here for two hours waiting on a burger to get cooked. Right. Um, and so when we're talking about lives, there should be an industry set standard for the amount of time that we can take a person, right? Or you can put, you know, a, a certain age demographic from cannot swim to competent beginning swimmers, right? Like yeah. no longer such a great drowning risk, right? They they can even now begin to participate in the second tier of the pyramid, like learning recreational strokes and things like that. Learning in the third pyramid, competitive strokes, competing, right? And what have you. So. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty much it's right now. We got that in a book for people and then we have a manual um, and we're pretty much working on that. We're getting that to. Um, to mm-hmm. municipal bodies, to private bodies, public sector, um, you know, we actually got a this is like, I guess I'm talking about it now, but we got we got a summit coming up. Um, we got a summit coming up at the end of literally in two weeks at the end of September. And uh, you know i I'm a big marketing guy, but this one uh we we got a bunch of heavy hitters in one room we got people like Nike swim in the room l a eighty four l a twenty eight you know officials from l a u s d from the city of compton from from children's hospital so um we're gonna put on a great event with Janet Evans at the end of this month um and Ooh. Uh, that that's the best teaser I can give you guys right
0: now.
2: Janet <laughs> yeah. Evans out.
0: is like such a right. huge. She's amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah. You'll find out what comes out of it though. All right. Awesome. So that, that's a little mini exclusive.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll make sure to promote that when 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 I see it on Instagram. We'll promote wow. it on Instagram, but also Twitter for sure.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Well, and so I I want to talk. So you touched on this a bit, and and your answer just now, and also in prior answers. Um. But I want to sort of talk about the extent to which you think um, sort of American swimming has changed. And I'll back up a second and and, and say that, um, you know, so to kick off our mini series on swimming, uh, we interviewed the great historian Kevin Dawson, this fantastic mm-hmm. interview that we're so excited about. And we talked about his work on the history of African diaspora aquatics and the emergence of anti-Black racist notions of swimming about who could and could not swim and why. And, and I have to say, as a longtime swimmer and a coach myself, it was not especially common to see black swimmers on deck. And, and I was mainly in the South and like Virginia, South Carolina and Florida. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I had my first like black swimmer. I think this was probably in 2013. And I remember her her mom asking me like, oh, are there any kind of like swim caps that would like be kinder to her hair? Because like the, you know, the, the regular ones were kind of tugging at her hair. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking like, I've never thought about this before. And just like boom, like there's my whole kind of privilege of like I've never even thought about what someone with different hair, how the, how the how their hair might interact with the cap. Um, and so that's sort of a long-winded of way of saying or asking you, you know, to what extent do you think the landscape has changed at all, or in the last couple of years, for black swimmers in the U.S.
2: You know, I mean, I think it's I think it's changed. You know, just from a from a really from a obviously, you know, you're talking about Kevin Dawson, so. So much respect and gratitude, uh, you know, Kevin, I hope you hear this. So grateful to you, you know, for your dedication <laughs> for your work, right? Because without it, right, I may have been tasked with having to do all that research and make that right my work, right? But now mm, I'm able yeah. to study, right? That's right, that's that's what we all love, right? To be able to, <laughs> to study what <laughs> others have already dedicated their time and energy so that we may learn and study others. Um mm. and take it and take it farther and further uh so my respect to that but i mean i think from you know no like from just number one from a, a perspective of time let's just say we're talking from the 14 development of let's just say development of the black swimmers experience in america you know if we could trace that ancestry from the 1400s right when we're most likely talking about along the coast of right what is that the eastern coast of africa and uh and we take that all the way through to twenty twenty. Um, so let's just say let's start in fourteen hundred, right? And obviously you guys already know we're talking about pretty much the world's foremost swimmers, right? All of these coastal places like this. And then we come all the way fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Let's let's fast forward through the 16th right? Let's fast forward through the seventeenth, let's fast forward into the eighteenth and let's talk about, right? Which again is something Kevin I'm sure touched on. Uh When we see, right, early Eastern North American colonies, right, and their relationship with waterways, how much of that was influenced by, right, what we already know is this African aquatic culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so we take that again, right, and we move that on now, what, from the 1800s on to the 1900s, and again, like, this is kind of where, you know, history is getting more thick now. Um right. And now we're talking about pools popping up in the north, pools popping in the south that were bathhouses, right? These are segregated bathhouses, right? But this is at a point where it's really just like white elite and everyone else, right? There's like white elite immigrants and blacks. Um and then right as Jeff Wilts as Jeff, as Jeff Wilts puts it in his book, Contested Waters, right? Essentially what how he's explained it is pretty much what happens is, you know, obviously we you know the pools go from bathhouses to these community recreational pools um pretty much post-restoration era right what was the immigrant population so to this one have been migrated by the millions european immigrants right were inducted into what is politically white and then apparently again this is as jeff woods puts it what was this newly freed southern black population is now moving up to the north in millions of jobs, and then they just pretty much adopted that now like Right, which they really already had. That's kind of my only thing with that, Jeff. We've talked about that. He knows they mm-hmm. were still black from the jump, so you know, I don't, I don't think that applies. Um, and it obviously doesn't apply because it's still the same today, you know. But again, he knows that. We talked about that. It's it's in love, but it's also in like you know, really, really critically thinking. I think it's important for us all to question, um, because it's all tied into the fabric. And so then we come into it. We come into the 1900s, right? Um, we come into really what is it the after 1950 we come into what the 60s and 70s when is it? i think it's like and i you know fact check me on this guys but i think it's in the 70s the first time you see a black person represented on a u.s swimming team um and then like i think it's like what another maybe 15 or 20 years before you another see another one or two people like we're talking about in the legacy of olympic swimming in this country like Probably less than one percent of those athletes have been black, right um mm-hmm. so obviously, you know things have gotten better from the ninth from since like the restoration period from the eighteen fifty to the nineteen seventies, and now it's like, yeah, it's better from the nineteen seventies to the to the to the twenty twenties, but I mean like you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that like the rate of change versus the rate of allowed adaptation is horrendous um. Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty much that in a nutshell.
0: So as a historian, it just made me so excited. And I, and I talked to you about this over DM before the episode, mm-hmm. Jamal. But It just made me so excited that you, you knew this history, like you learned this history, you studied it, and that you just see it as like one of like your, what something you should do is just like educate people with this history. It's just, it's Absolutely. so amazing to like see people, to see an athlete connecting with this great work like that. Um, And, you know, even my question was, was asking, you know, to what extent has it changed even within the last few years? And Mm -hmm. I loved that your, your response was like, I'm going to take this all the way back, right? Like, I'm going to take it (laughs) all the way back for a good reason to be like, hell no, it hasn't changed that much. Let's get some perspective
2: here. Yeah, let's really get some perspective.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. and so just, I just I really appreciate that, and, and since and since you really did that so so beautifully, I'm going to just kind of jump into the the question about this amazing IGTV video that you did for the US Masters Swimming, uh, sorry Instagram account, in mid July, and we will certainly link this in the show notes because everyone needs to watch it. It's just fantastic.
2: Okay, um, that's right. thank you.
0: Well, and so, and I have to actually say, I told Derek before the show. Um, so classes started for me this week, and mm-hmm. as the first week for my sport history class, I had students watch that show. Sorry, wow, that's
3: that it. All right, yeah,
0: because I was like, we're gonna we're gonna change. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, because well, because I was like, we're gonna like challenge these traditional narratives that we have about sport Absolutely. history, about how it unites everybody and it teaches everybody hard work, and it's like, okay, that's one side of it. And I was reading the online discussion posts that students had to write about it. They had to reflect on it. And they were like, oh my God, this totally debunks the racist history. And like a black swimmer is telling us this history. Like they were so like amazed. I mean, it, re- it It showed that some of them probably believed in this, which is negative, but also like they were so excited and they really got like your passion and they mm-hmm. understood it. And, and they just, they were like, he's so passionate. He's so, he's so excited. And it was so engaging. Um, oh,
2: that's bless, blessed. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. If I may say one thing, though, no, I, I just wanted to say this: like the spirit behind that. But number one, let me just say, right? It's on Masters U.S. Master Swimming. I got so much love and gratitude for U.S. Master Swimming. Um, you know, when I first, uh, when I first left, uh, when I deferred my college enrollment as a junior in 2016, mm-hmm. um, and then came home back to California to pursue my dream of, you know, being a pro swimmer. Um, Master Swimming gave me a platform to compete. You know, that that's what mm-hmm. they do. You know, that's what they do. That's what master swimming is. It's competitive swimming for eighteen and older. Um, and they have competitions and awards and championships and teams all over the nation. So so much love and gratitude for that organization and the opportunity allowed me into, you know, um, you know, with the, this was one project that we were able to to actually do together. We've tried it a few times of this one we were actually able to do. So I just wanted to make sure to bring to their platform a succinct presentation um really kind of uh really of me just kind of and my values right like that because that's who they had on there uh and th- this is my history was a part of it, and i thought it was just interesting people like antidotes and stories um so i thought that was very interesting and again shout out to kevin dawson right i just <laughs> you know you, you people are praising the messenger right now like oh you know I, i'm not gonna lie i read it in a book like <laughs> 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 You know, that's that's where they put the secrets at. Um <laughs> but uh you know, so really um I'm sorry, I, I got sidetracked. Bring me back in here. W- what is going on with this post?
0: Well, I guess I just kind of wanted to know sort of like what was the significance of doing this video and like what was mm, the reception.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so I think the significance was like I think the significance was just for and we're we're already kinda on this, you know, so i'm gonna go i'm mm-hmm. gonna i'm gonna put the big toe on it right now, like do it. it comes down to the significance of anti blackness I think around yeah. the world, but because mm-hmm. I'm here in America, here in America, you know, um mm. and this uh it comes down to like. You know, uh, times are definitely better than they've ever been. Like, obviously, you know, each generation, I think, is evolving, right, in humanity, which, again, I saw, God bless Instagram, I saw a meme the other day that said, you know, we got to stop calling racism racism and just call it inhumanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, oh, shit, okay. (laughs) That's pretty good. I like that. I'm not going to lie. I actually reposted it, I think. Yeah, all right, damn, I like that. You know, because especially the way that it manifests in our world, you know, all around the world, like, that shit is inhumane." Um, You know, robbing, pillaging, murdering. um, And all these things, you know, all these things are a part of in America, the black experience for sure every single day and has been, you know, as early as the United States of America have been the United States of America for the front of that population, you know, and uh, it's not a whole lot better um for you know immigrants or for brown individuals or for you know whoever whoever else doesn't really kind of still fit in that once victorian shape of america uh and that's really just kind of the truth like this is none of this is new you know um Mm -hmm. it's just like like i said i'm 25 in my whole life like the first time i ever felt like it was okay to kind of talk outside about being black was like two months ago you know so that's not something Mm that should be taken lightly like i'm 25 like you gotta think my father is what in his 60s or 70 his father my mother their mother like my brothers my cousins like this is not just something that jamal hill experienced like oh jamal just didn't think he could talk until he was 25 no yeah no no that's not (laughs) what it was (laughs) like you know like that's not what it was you know what i'm saying it's just been like you know, what do you do as, at a certain point? Like when when, when so many doors are closed and obviously, right, like I'm speaking to ascending and rising and doing our best and trying harder. But I, I first even got into freaking Kevin Dawson and Jeff and trying to understand the history because I had a question. It was a hypothesis, right? You yeah. guys, you guys are mm-hmm. drawing you're scientists, really appreciate this. My question was what happened, you know? Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, dang, Kevin, 1400s. Like <laughs> you're telling me the best swimmers in the world?
3: Yeah. well, what the heck happened?
2: You know, like, <laughs> right? So I'm like, and uh, so that's what really put me on this, right, voracious quest for knowledge, right? So I'm I'm consuming all these books and I'm trying to piece it together. And what's crazy is I had all these books and I was still trying to piece it together. And I met with one of one of my friends, very insightful young woman here in Los Angeles, California. Um, And really what she started to say to me is just that like, yo, the reason why a lot of black people don't tell them, obviously other than like, everything is like oh they have a lot of shit going on like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. since been since been here in this country it's been nothing but an uphill battle like just to pretty much maintain some bare minimum you know like Mm -hmm. and that's the reality like
3: yeah
2: that's the reality of generational trauma that's the reality of generational privilege right Um, and so I think even with that on the other side of the coin, when I made this piece of content, I also wanted to frame it like, you know, um, because I think one thing that kind of makes me different is like, I'm saying like, I'm obviously not anti-black, because I think that's wrong. And I think that's even, I think that's kind of what a lot of us have been trained to do the same way we've been trained to be sexist, the same way that we've been trained to, you know, exercise our privileges over others, right. In Mm -hmm. unconscious and subconscious ways even if we don't realize that, you know, it's hurting these other people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just wanted to really kind of share with them, listen, like, there's more to this history, you know, uh, but even still understanding, like, now that you have this history, you know, and now that you have some knowledge, right, like, it still doesn't make you a subject matter expert on experience,
3: right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. could have never read a book about, about, you know, any Black history in my life, and I would still be an expert on, right, my experience here in america as a black yeah right so um i really just wanted to again like i'm sure very few people especially with me being able to tie it into like you know tales of you know uh kind of these sea nymphs and things like that and really Mm how, um you know even the way i presented it it was really still kind of rosy um but you know but Mm -hmm. when you really stop and think about the stories that i'm telling and why this kind of translates you know it's the history. That's why, you know, because things like this were going around all the time. These women had to go into the water because they were superior swimmers because really, you know, these, what, what do you call them, conquerors, you know, whoever yeah. that has, has shown up on these shores and they're here, you know, again, this is history books. But even now, you notice I am hesitate to say rape, rob, and pillage because for a long yeah. time for me to say that, I would almost be seen as a black extremist for talking about yeah. what yeah.
3: happened. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, and I think yeah. that's the freedom of speech that I talked about. I was just kind of like, oh, my God, like, you mean, like, obviously, you still got to be cautious and you still have to be, you know, um, educating yourself and aware, you know what I'm saying? Every, you got to play the game always. But I mean, yeah. you know, it's just it's, it's hidden here in America, you know, like, I think that's one thing, you know, like, obviously, the Holocaust is a great strategy, but that is a tragedy that is acknowledged right? Like, mm-hmm. that's 100% Absolutely. acknowledged and owned, right? Absolutely. But, like, this is something that the good guys did, right? Like, I've been, <laughs> there's more Holocaust museums. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I came up as a kid, I know everything about the Holocaust. Yeah. None of my yeah. classmates, and I went to mostly predominantly black and brown schools. Few of my classmates know the history that I know, but think about all the kids that didn't go to a predominantly black and brown school that were able to teach some history. Like, they know nothing about this stuff. I'm eating kids, I'm training kids each day to having mental breakdowns around Black Lives Matter. Like, oh my God, I didn't know it was like this.
0: Yeah, there's there's no um, there's no single museum dedicated to the history of slavery in the U S. like solely to the history of slavery. Just, right,
3: just to how like
0: many, How many Holocaust museums? And I teach the Holocaust. Uh, like I, we should learn about it. But like 100%. this is the U S. and we have our own history to learn.
2: Hundred percent. But that's yeah. the thing, right? You can't put some history museums are for history, right? So it can't have a museum yet, right? We already know slavery yeah. is still. Right. Anyone who refuses to acknowledge the pigeon industrial complex is beyond me. Right. We already know. Right. <laughs> we already know. There's a million and one examples. So it's not about being right. Uh, it's not about being an extreme. Not about um, being a conspiracy theorist. It's like it's just about honestly, like recognizing your privilege. Right. And some of us are. We're, none of us control the skin that we're born into. Um. But you know, like I, I don't know, man. Something about me is just all. And again, like everybody's different you know so who am i to say what's Mm right and wrong really it's just like i think killing innocent people is wrong that's just how i was raised (laughs) you know like i think systematically impressing a very specific body right for hundreds of generations like literally generations of indebted servitude is fucked up i think it's wrong um so that is a that's all that kind of inspired together with a little bit of my creative zing is what, you know, I was just trying to share in that post. So something definitely heartfelt, entertaining, um, real, but also like, you know, um, it has depth, you know, so like if you were someone to critically think, there's definitely, you know, some meat there for you to chew on and really and really stew about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I so I think we have time for, for two more questions, mm-hmm. but I want to ask you one more that's related to this, this amazing, powerful, brilliant movement that we're seeing happen on the streets of cities all across mm-hmm. this continent. And, and I think we've talked about this on the show quite a bit. The, the sport of swimming in general has been very slow in recognizing its anti-Black history. Mm-hmm. You've noted this. Mm-hmm. Kevin Dawson has noted this. Most of the acknowledgement comes in relation to the segregation of pools, Mm -hmm. Um, not the overarching idea that like the swimming community overall has a has a complete ignorance about this Mm -hmm. rich history of black history uh, of black swimming that you're talking about in the moment that we're seeing around us since the the murder of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. of Breonna Taylor, of Mm -hmm. Ahmaud Arbery, Mm -hmm. Tamir Rice, and sadly, the names go on and on. And the anti-racist protests that ensued, mm-hmm. it seems like a significant number of swimmers have kind of decided to be more involved, mm-hmm. um, yourself perhaps being one of them mm-hmm. in these movements such as Swimmers for Change. Yeah, do you absolutely. think that these events are what kind of sparked the, ki- the swimming community to throw their sort of full weight behind these, these uh, anti-racist efforts? And um, how do you feel about them in more, like, more generally?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Number one, you know, always give praise and honor. Shout out to uh you right you said summers for change, so shout out to everybody who participated. Shout out to Carol Burkle, she's the one who actually brought me into mm-hmm. Summers for Change. So mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. shout out to her. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, shout out to uh Neil Jacob Pibley, shout out to their team at Phoenix, you know, who, who was able to help them sponsor that whole seminar. Um, yeah, I that de- you know, of course, of course, of course, like you know, dissemination of knowledge is always going to, you know, open some eyes, right? Like, it's yeah. like the light being turned on is going to provide vision for those who have healthy eyes, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but if your eyes are fucked up, like, it doesn't matter how much light we turn on in this room, you can't see. We just got to get rid of eyes, right? yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, I, and I say that I just kind of say this, to say this with a double-edged sword, you know, and I don't want anyone to hear this and, like, think, like, oh, damn, like, Paul is great for tomorrow's the festival, today. I'm probably one of the, you know, I'm real for sure. Um, but um, I'm a nice guy, you know, like I'm very optimistic. <laughs> like I said, what did I tell you guys before? What's my saying these days? Like, oh, good thing. Good, thing is it going good going, things are going on Good things. Um, but you you really gotta understand, and it's gonna be hard for a lot of people to understand that, like, do after not only after all the history that's going on, but after the present when like, you know. Can either of you tell me, and yeah. this is no pressure to you, it's kind of a total question, how many people have been how many black innocent lives have been murdered through police brutality alone since George Floyd, since Breonna Taylor? Oh.
3: Right?
2: Yeah. yeah. So it's like Yeah, yeah so it's, it's like, oh let me let me really give you some perspective here. So I'm take it back to yeah. fourteen hundred and then it's like, oh, you're like, damn, I guess like that really ain't shit. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. it's good. Like obviously we need it, it has a place. But, like, don't for a second think that that has changed any tide. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right? That's, That's like a good point. 100%, 100% I tell people all this time, like, I plan on having, you know, and this is, again, it's all about perspective. Like, let's just say Jamal Hill, the life. Like, let's say I'm able to live a long, fruitful life and serve in the way that I'm intended to serve at the end of my life. I'm still just a drop in a bucket. Mm, you get yeah. me? So it's like, yeah. um, you know it's not about just doing one swimmer for change. Right. You know, it's not, it was a great initiative. It kickstarted, but like, like so many things. Right. And, and this is, I think, really where the swimming industry, you know, and some people told me, you know, like Jamal, you got to be careful, but it's like, you got to understand at a certain point, like, because of the way the system is set up, you know, me and my team are building our own thing. So like nobody's going to make or break this other than me or God. Like, you know, every opportunity, everything that I've been able to gain and develop hasn't been become some great wealthy benefactor in the swimming world came and blessed Ooh. me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the reason people are calling me and stuff is because we've been working. That's mm-hmm. why. Right? So yeah. like, we earned all of this, you know, so, <laughs> you know, and like, all that is to come, as I hope most people do because that's the point of it, you know? You gotta work. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I say all that to say, like, you know, let's just let, let's have a real conversation, man. Like, let's, let's look at the sport of swimming. Let's look at really the leaders, the big companies. We don't got a name drop, right? It's not about, because I don't want anyone to even think I'm calling them specifically out. It's the industry. Mm-hmm. Just look at Because it's only, yeah. it's a handful, right? right? How many of those, let's just say, let's just say sponsored athletes. How many black sponsored athletes are on these pro-swimming rosters around the world? Yeah. Probably mm-hmm. like one or two at a time. I know for sure one or two at a time here in the U.S. per, per, per brand. Right. And it's not like you have to be an Olympic champion to get signed to a roster. Yeah, there are plenty of, you know, European swimmers signed to rosters all over the world that are not Olympic champions. Right. Like everyone's run a few races here and there. Shit. I've been the one international event myself and I won a silver medal. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) you know, so I'm just saying it's not like there's just just, there has to be this. You have to be the Michael Phelps of swimming to get to get sponsors. That's my point, though right but what's the representation there's a whole country full of black people with pro swimmers like what do you mean there are countries right but again it feeds into that oh somebody would say oh there aren't enough black swimmers to sponsor and again Mm -hmm. what do you mean there's a whole world of professional swimmers of all colors and people and and religious beliefs and what do you mean what do you mean there's not enough so again you know it's that double-edged sword of like and again, I'm a young dude telling you this, right? I'm 25 Mm -hmm. years old, you know what I'm saying? And like, this stuff that I'm talking about is true experience, right? It's like true experience, true history. And it's like, what's crazy is I'm in the best of times that have come so far, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So like, you're getting it extremely watered down as hard as I'm giving it to them. Um, But, you know, it just reached that breaking point of the human spirit, uh, just pretty much like Dude, that's not enough. Like, I don't care how many freaking Black Lives Matter you paint on the street. That's not en- like no. That's not enough. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. People are still true. being murdered. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. We had a meeting and we got all these Olympians together. That's great. That's not enough. Like, it's good, but uh, it's not yeah. enough, right? Like, it's good. Like, if I get you, know what I'm saying like, if I gave you a spoonful of food, you're like, oh, that tastes good. But like, you know, that's not enough. Like, that's not a bill. Yep. You know, right. I got it. Yeah. yeah, that that that's my sentiment on it. It's not yeah, enough.
0: It was really interesting to hear some Manuel say in a podcast episode this summer, basically saying like, why am I always asked about racism when like white athletes are not? All right. Mm. And like Naomi, Naomi Osaka, like essentially did the same thing yesterday. Right. Um, so yeah, we could go on that. I just wanted to kind of make that point.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Listen, number one, in a major way, shout out to the women of the culture for being such leaders. Mm. Um that's now that's really the main thing I wanted to say. Like if y'all take anything out of this time bite, shout out to Simone Manuel, um, shout out to nomio so I could just number one, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are people just like us who really just kinda had a dream of being the best and the greatest they could be, right?
3: Yeah and
2: because yeah. of what comes with that, they're automatically gonna be cast to the spotlight. As sports figures, they're automatically, you know, just like myself, just like others, especially when you reach a high level, right? Because they're, 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 they've attained things on, a, on an athletic level that I haven't attained yet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So nothing but respect and admiration to those ladies, you know, and I, they're oftentimes, like, they're going to be seen as political scapegoats, right? Like, oh, this person can speak for every black person on the planet now, right? So as long as this mm-hmm. person is good, everything's okay, right? Yeah. Right, it's still, right? Swimming is a microcosm of America. It's still like the token black rule. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And so, again, just being black women, women of color, uh, and just really kind of, you know, just being bold and fierce and freaking like, yo, like, I'm not here for it. Like, I'm here to do what I got to do because this is my job. You know what I'm saying? But, like, don't ever think that I'm never going to be silent again. Um So mm-hmm. that's it. That, I didn't even have no comments on it. I just want to shout out to them. Um, Nothing but love and admiration, you know, and I hope, you know, to be able to achieve the types of things that they've been able to achieve, you know, in their young career.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. So one question that we really wanted to ask you um, to kind of change tracks a little bit is about sort of the issue of um, athlete, college athletes being coerced to return to college campuses this summer. And, you know, much of the conversation and like we wrote pieces about this, much of the conversation focused on like football players and how they're being forced to return or coerced to return to dangerous conditions at school. Um, and, and then also the sort of racial implications involved in it due to the racial nature of the sport. And, you know, you very rightfully pointed out, Jamal, that athletes in other sports had not been asked about their opinions on it. And so we want to know, you know, what are your thoughts on this issue and sort of how it's been addressed in the media?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, that was just a little stab, you know, as, oh, as, 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 a, as you know, as like, uh, as a non, uh, as a non primary entertainment sport athlete currently. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's tough, man. You know, just, just to be honest, like we, if you don't know, right. Like football pays for colleges to operate. Yeah. Um, It pays for all the other sports to operate, you know, unless basketball is carrying its own weight at that school, football pays for it all. <laughs> even the tiny schools, yeah. even the D3 schools that don't get football scholarships, <laughs> you know? so
1: Jamal, you actually raise a really interesting, and I, I just want to emphasize a point that football Pays for universities,
2: yeah. not even just sport, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah. I think
1: that's a very nuanced point that you just made. Yeah, so I got to <laughs> shout that
2: out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so like, uh, like I said, if 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 the li- if you guys didn't know, listen to this. They do, you know, like this for that. Yeah. Listen, that's what the industry is going grown to. Like, you know, whether or not you like the NFL, whether or not you like the sport, whether or not you think sports that cause concussions should be banned. Listen, that you know, that's your business. That's another conversation. Um, but you know, it's just like, dude, from a financial standpoint, you know, like I think colleges are great places. Um, I think higher education is great, but you know, nothing is all good, right? Like there's a lot of kind of monopoly on education that goes on in the university and college system. Mm -hmm. Um, like nothing is all good. Nothing is all bad. And I mean, like same thing with like this situation, like, right, what do we do? Right. Let's just say, let's just say those colleges aren't trying to coerce the football players to come back and play. And let's say the college doesn't get the money, right, when it was already going to get a fraction because of COVID, right, a fraction of whatever money that we're going to yeah. get. Okay, and so now how does that affect the faculty, right? Yeah. Now how does that affect the students, right? How does that affect, um, you know, so it, it's a super loaded question. Obviously, like, I think it's just one of those things like COVID is hitting hard. I think, I, personally, I think the best thing they could do in a situation like this is to go ahead and boss up, you know, and do what's right. If if you're gonna have these players being there, and we're gonna acknowledge that, you know, whether or not they're the boss, or whether or not they're the manager, or whether or not they're the creative director, like what they're doing on the field is attracting attention and dollars, um, they should be compensated for that, uh, mm-hmm. with more than just right, right, like oh, you know what? Not that we're gonna give you forty to sixty thousand dollars for tuition, but just like we won't charge you for it, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is like you know again that that's a slippery slope it, It's obviously probably a lot more nuanced and gray uh than even you know what I've delved into, but that could be a potential solution uh and it would be a bullet that I think would be a fair bullet to fight like again, like mm-hmm. I said, footballs are funding football is funding major universities yeah. um so you know that. <laughs> football brings in a lot of wealthy benefactors, right? That's what I mean by yeah. funding. It's not just ticket sales, yeah. right? It's not just the sport right. itself. I mean football itself as an industry. So, that's my two cents on that.
1: Yeah, and I think like we we on this podcast have a long-standing war against football in general, mm-hmm. but particularly against college football because of these college athletic laborers yeah. that they are as you point out being massively exploited mm-hmm. and they are the drivers of so much that.
3: Absolutely.
1: And on this note, I I think I wanted I wanted to ask about because I I think we're seeing some of the early signs of just how detrimental the pandemic is going to be on non-revenue generating sports. So non-basketball, non-football mm-hmm. sports. Um we're seeing how this is actually might be impacting or already is impacting swimming. And mm-hmm. since that's your foray, I wanted, I wanted to ask about that. We saw recently that the University of Iowa announced that it'd be shuttering its swimming program in 2021. This is a major, yeah. major swimming program. And yeah. a variety of other universities are, I would imagine, likely pondering similar moves. Yeah. What do you think of all this? And, and how do you sort of foresee the future of swimming in north america particular collegiate particularly collegiate swimming after the pandemic
2: yeah i think i think it's honestly it's using my language i think it's fucking great um yeah just because and they're right he's like that's the last thing i (laughs) appreciate no no i think it's fucking great and this is this is why right so obviously number one condolences to anyone who lost this season or may lose you know their college season or their high school season or the college ineligibility. But again, it comes down to like, why is the swim industry in danger of becoming extinct? Because it has never mm-hmm. adapted. Right? Mm-hmm. It has never adapted, right? Very few, very few gold medal freaking Olympians are able to make livable wages off mm-hmm. of swimming. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. so yeah, well, you know, what the heck do you expect? Like this was just right oh you got all these swimmers around the world right who are working their life off working through college working through you know and again like different people's lives have different you know experiences and privileges but i mean it's just like but where is it going Mm -hmm. right like and it's kind of like this fake like it's not like lacrosse right like there's nobody's expecting to become like a world famous lacrosse player right (laughs) like right so we already know that's like its own thing like just kind of for fun it's a sport but like there's not even olympics for i just mean like it's a non-olympic sport Mm -hmm. so i mean number one you're looking at already the problems facing swimming initially people only care not like people have only been taught to be interested in it every four years right yeah um only until last year was there an actual private swimming league so it was a fucking monopoly since it's Mm -hmm. inception just like the, you know pretty much there are multi-international there still exists a multi-international monopoly in the sport of competitive right oh, yeah. um you know and it's like it, i don't gotta name anybody like you know it's just like that still exists yeah. yeah uh you know so like when we look at the development of these other sports right like even just on a brief history we had the nba and the aba the afl the nfl like Sports were allowed to grow as industries, right? That There were different creations within the sport. It was innovative, right? This is the same sport that said, no, don't wear those suits because they're too fast and then tried to write it off as, oh, we just want to make it accessible for everybody. It's already not accessible. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, right? Yeah. That was just a scapegoat. <laughs> what do you mean it's not accessible? Fucking suits already cost four hundred dollars. What are you talking seriously, about? Right?
3: Seriously. What are you
2: talking about? Oh, what about the poor people? Oh yeah, right. The <laughs> poor people. <laughs> okay, swimming. Um and again, like I'm saying swimming, but I just mean that to say like again, swimming is different because I think it it has become a very definite culture space um of just kind of like, you know, it's become like almost just like uh you can just kind of see it, right? Like it's not necessarily ugly, but it's not more clear anywhere else. Right, like yeah. you're not seeing the violence of it, but like you can see the mm-hmm. institution of it so freaking clearly, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and just how kind of like the institution has become so normalized that it almost like it seems crazy, it seems radical. It's like you don't know, ever look at it like that. Um, when when you really step back and uh and talk about mm-hmm. it, so. I don't know. Did I answer something there? I think I got to a point, but I may not. Yeah,
0: ask. no, <laughs> I was, I was, no, it was great. I was just kind of, be, I was just curious, you know, like if, if the NCAA swimming programs were like to disappear, I guess, what would, what do you think might happen to swimming or kind of like what would think, elite swimmers do? Would they just swim, they would swim like on clubs then for-, for I think it's going
2: to afford adaptation, innovation in the sport, you know, yeah. like I think in yeah. today's society, we have this denial of debt. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, like yeah, when things don't grow, adapt, and evolve, and they just stagnate, guess what? They die, right? Mm-hmm. But like yeah. from ashes, things are reborn, right? Like the world dies and it comes back to life, like <laughs> like right? People die and then the plants grow, or you know, trees fall yeah. and then cows eat it. Like that's the ecosystem, right? So like any in the industry, right? Obviously, we can expect swimming not to just disappear from the social and competitive fabric of the world, right? Like, I think that that would be an extreme to be looking at that, right? Just because, again, there's a lot of the world that partakes in swimming. It's fun. All it's going to force is for leaders, thought leaders to innovate, innovate the business model, right? So again, like, this is season two of ISL, right? So like, yeah, college is down, but it's season two of ISL. This is the second year this has happened ever in the whole history of the whole world of private swimming league in uh, uh, international swimming league, like where athletes are actually a part of pro teams. And I'm not even sure the compensation um method of the ASL, I'm sure it's very rewards-based, you know, uh, but
1: yeah.
2: Either way, it's something, right? It's a freaking start. They got they gotta televise, you know, so I think it's just gonna magnify those efforts. Like it's gonna magnify the need for change. It's gonna magnify the need for a more robust professional opportunity as a, you know, as a swimmer. Um, And then I think, like, once those things are a little bit, it's going to force people to maybe create their own links. It's going to force people to, you know, express, maybe host their own competitions, right? It's going to force new bodies, right? We may have more than U.S. Master Swimming out there five years now. We may have three or four different major competitive adult uh, swimming organizations right, that hosts their own teams and things like that. So um, I really think that's where it's going to go, personally. You know, like, as long as COVID lasts and as long as, um, you know, 2020 lasts, whether it's 2021, 2022, um, you know, for swimming to just be deleted, I think, like, we're talking about, okay, like, there's something way bigger and more important, right? The world is on the verge of being deleted, right? If sports have yeah. been deleted, yeah. that's what True. we're talking about. Yeah. But, again, on the college scale, that's a very specific place where, again, like, on the list of income, right, what drives income and what just costs money and doesn't get a lot of attendance, of course, swimming, right, even the biggest swim school. Like, if it's a big swim school, I'm sure it's a huge football school. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's just, like that. yeah, because the swimming program can really only be as big as the football program is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right? that's where the money comes from. Like, so, yeah. Um, you know, so, again, like, it sucks for colleges, but, I mean, dude, what I would tell college students is, Welcome to the pros. This is what it's like. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it's like to be a pro athlete. Like, you got to set up your own schedule. You got to get out there. If you want to get your work in, you got to go. You got to train. You got to find a yeah. coach. You got to. So it's just like, here, get a taste. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of that, that's what I see it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a direction. Go for it.
1: You, you raise a really interesting point that I, uh, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised mm. um that, that you raise it, but like this really interesting point about adaptation, about letting things kind of die and seeing kind of what innovation takes place. And this is like in, in many ways, exactly what you would expect in a capitalist system, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be the exact thing when something doesn't work, something else gets kind of created. So my, my kind of hope that I'm, hearing from you about talking about USA swimming or uh, uh, swimming in general is also perhaps we can think of the same logic and same line of thinking when it comes to college football and college basketball and all of the other athletic levers that we're we're seeing. For sure, Um, And I think yeah, there's some people who've been on our podcast that have talked um, that I'm thinking about um, the the, the PCL, which is the Professional Collegiate League that's kind of trying to do this. So there are Mm -hmm. people who are thinking about these things in swimming outside of swimming. And I, and I'd love to see a complete revolution when it comes to, um collegiate athletics in yeah, yeah. And, I, and i i really think that's the point you're you're making absolutely which is a, i'm talking very, about the
2: great reawakening here Where right? we're yes, gonna have yes. a reawakening that's that's what's speaking comments.
1: our language <laughs> on the end of sport <laughs> yeah.
0: except yeah, Derek, you can't you can't let nathan know what you said about capitalism he might not okay. like that.
2: <laughs> 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 absolutely absolutely you know but i mean e- even more than capitalism though like you know capitalism a very specific scope but it's for those people yeah. who like who don't like capitalist systems? Like, you know, that, that's your business. I'm talking about something that's natural here. We're talking about a natural life. Yeah. In life, yeah. when things don't grow and they don't evolve and they stagnate, guess what? Viruses breed, death breeds, right? It, it ultimately, like, everything that comes to that stagnant place ends up being stuck in that and ultimately dying with it, you know? And that's why you got to have change. That's why the season changed, right? If seasons didn't change, I assume the earth would die. Um, yeah. right, that would be a major thing. Right. So uh, it's good. You know, it's good, man. I think that's probably been my most of everything as an entrepreneur um, during this COVID time is just, you know, obviously watching some companies soar and then watching some giants just crash, you know, um, because mm-hmm. this, as a business person, right? Like I, I read this a while. One of my favorite authors is Peter Drucker, the father of modern entrepreneurship. And what he says is that in a capitalist system, theoretically, there should never be an opportunity for a new business to arise. Um, The Mm -hmm. existing businesses should pretty much, right, control all the major resources um, and the major clientele, right, essentially running, right, like, well, well, anyone who is a part of a successful business, like, let's just say an industry monopoly or an industry conglomerate, right, there should be no ability for new businesses to arise. But then again, you see, like, you know, life happens and giant stumble right like it was a stone that took down goliath right like um so just as a young business person as as a young professional swimmer like it's got me excited you know um it's got me excited because number one i'm ready happy and willing to adapt and see what's coming and you know like and make my own way and and help others and you know just just kind of be of service, you know, do something new. Cause, cause, uh, I'm pretty young, but again, like, you don't gotta spend much time, uh, as an adult to realize, like, dude, like, a lot of fucked up shit going on out here that people are just taking for granted and just allowing it to happen. And we're just sleeping it all under the rug, you know, like, mm-hmm. from our personal lives, the way we treat our loved ones, um, to the way, you know, we treat strangers, to the way that, you know, we treat our governments, the way that our governments treat us, the way that we treat people from other countries and the arms and just the whole thing uh so that's you know that's it man
3: that's
0: (laughs) that's it absolutely well jamal this was just like such a pleasure thank you so so very much for yeah this is so derek and i are so excited for this conversation and this thank you for your time we know that you're incredibly busy um and we will definitely link like your information, your sort of social media and like Swim uphill and things like that, because we're just so excited for you and what you're doing right now.
2: Well, listen, you have a blessed night. I appreciate you again. I know you all are busy. School has started from what I hear. <laughs> um, you know, Online, online education uh, is easier in theory than in practice, like most things. So, uh, you know, keep doing the Lord's work, you know, keep keep educating the masters and uh, we'll be in touch with
1: Thank you for tuning into another episode of the end of sport podcast if you're enjoying the show please feel free to like share and subscribe give us a follow on twitter or instagram at end of sport pod or shoot us an email at theendofsport@gmail.com. at gmail.com thanks for listening